This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. I was having a dinner one time uh, in Manchester with, uh, with Mrs. Kellett, and uh, what happened was we, um, we heard this re- kerfuffle in our back garden. Uh, it's Manchester, so you're used to a bit of a kerfuffle. And, um, and then what happened? I opened the back door, and these, there's torches and shouting and dogs. And it was like, what? And this voice said, go back inside and close the door, please. I was like, whoa. <laughs> So you go back inside, you close the door, you lock the door, and then we hear kind of running and kerfuffle. Somebody runs over our car, our car's in the side, they climb up over the car, there's helicopters, spotlights, whatever. Then later on, a knock at the door, yeah, who is it, you think, Flip, who is it? He says it's um, police constable, whatever, let us in. He basically said there'd been a drugs bust. Uh, in the back of our backyard, and they'd run across, and police helicopters had found them and stuff. And I thought, hey, that's Manchester, isn't it? That's Manchester. (laughs) But it's interesting, if you think, like, if the guy had said, go back in your house, and not said police, how would have you reacted? You'd have thought, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Because it's police, that, that word police kind of gives you authority. Imagine if somebody uh, came and knocked on your door and said, right, come with me, follow everything, leave everything and follow me, you'd kind of go, hang on a minute. But if they said, oh, it's police, police constable, you might, and there's a fire and there's a chance of a gas explosion, you might suddenly leave everything and follow him. You see what I did there? Leave everything and follow him. So you might, so there's something about that, you know, it didn't, the police officer didn't go open up in the name of the law. I don't think they do that anymore. But basically that was the idea. Or how about this one for an idea? Imagine a stranger, don't put the slide up yet, Rico. Stay with that one. Stay with that one. Imagine a stranger said to you, right, I'd like you to strip down to your underwear and go behind that curtain and lie on a bed. You'd think, you're weird. <laughs> if that person then said to you, look, the trouble is, uh, Howard, your diet is messed up. You need to change your lifestyle completely. That would be really, really weird, wouldn't it? But if they had a badge that said, Dr. John Smith, heart specialist, you'd say, thank you, wouldn't you? There's something about the power of a name. There's something about the power of a name. You can do the next slide now, actually. It's all about timing, Rico. There you go. <laughs> you know, somebody wearing a mask. Oh, I forgot to say somebody wearing a mask. That would have been better, wouldn't it? It would have been more funny. Somebody wearing a mask said, go behind that curtain and take your clothes off. You'd think, how weird. And there's something about a, a name. There's something about a name. There's something about the power of a name. Now imagine somebody comes to you and says, I want you to repent 
That's turn from your sin. I want you to U-turn. That's what repent means. Let's talk about U-turns this week. Uh, I want you to believe, recenter the whole of your life and the whole of your orientation on, on something else. I want you to get plunged under the water. We were going to do that and we'll do it again, uh, but we're outside. I want you to get plunged under the water as a sign of dying to your old life and coming out re- uh, again to a power of a new life. If somebody said that to you, you'd say, don't be so stupid. Now, you don't say that because you know where we're going, don't you? But for somebody to say to you, change your whole life, your thinking, your behaviour, and symbolise that by getting plunged under the water, you'd say, hang on a minute, you're crazy. And in our society, if somebody came and told you to do that, you'd think you're doubly crazy. I mean, I had somebody, I know I've still got scar tissue, I had somebody complain seriously to me that I was controlling because they asked them to move forward on a Sunday morning. Whoa. Our, our society is super scared of authority. Please don't tell me what to do. We're scared of abuse. We're scared of control. Now, don't get me wrong. There is abuse. There is control. But the reality, authority, we're super negative about authority. But actually, Jesus is the one, spoiler alert, by the way, he's the one who says, repent, be baptized. You know, he, spoiler alert, he's the one who says, leave everything and follow me and do everything I say. Do everything I say. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. What, obey? That'd be ridiculous. Hmm, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Just depends. Not sure. No, Jesus says, obey everything I've commanded you. The one who says, if you want a new heart, change your lifestyle, stop sleeping around, stop doing stupid things with your money, stop lying, stop being deceitful, and follow me. If that person is somebody else, if it's me or somebody else, you better, you've every right to say no. But if that person is Jesus of Nazareth, you better listen. You get where we're going? We're in Acts. So we're in Acts. Um, I'll just pick up where Christopher was last uh, two weeks ago. I'm going to read a couple of verses. I've made it easy for you by emphasising your capital letters, what we're talking about today. So uh, this is verse um, Acts chapter 3, verse 7. It's a long reading, but hey, my wife said to me, and she checked the PowerPoint, she said, there's a lot of Bible in here. I thought, oh dear. That's worrying, isn't it? Too much Bible in the church. Okay, fine, never mind. She wasn't saying that. She was teasing me. She was teasing me. Okay, Acts 3, verse 7. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the, say it, name of Jesus of Nazareth's walk. And he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, leaping, praising God. Jump down to verse 13. Peter, said, Peter saw this and said to him, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? Verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong in the name of Jesus' name and faith that comes through him, he has completely healed him as you can see. See what's happening? So let's jump into our chapter, chapter 4, verse 5. The next day the rulers and the elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. They'd had Peter and John arrested by the way and put them in prison and they think, what are we going to do? Annas, the high priest was there, so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. This is the question. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness, show to the man who was lame and being asked, 
how he was saved, you might have in your version healed, it's the same word actually that, that Luke uses, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you restored. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is my verse, as it were. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which they can be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled people from Yorkshire, no, unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man had been healed standing there, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them uh, to withdraw. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do about these men? They asked each other. They, they, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem neither performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But we must stop this thing from spreading any further among the people. We must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they all called them together and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, What is it right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Lord, we thank you for this powerful story of a healing. We thank you for this brave testimony of Peter and John. But Lord, we thank you for the the thread that runs through this, the power of your great name. The one that saves, the one that transforms, the one that brings healing and life and restoration. And we pray, let us see this truth afresh this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, obviously the question that was asked, like, okay, you've done this miraculous sign, how did you do it? By what power or what name did you do this? Obviously in Roman... Uh, uh, Roman uh, uh, Jerusalem, the, the power of Caesar's name was massively powerful. The, the name of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Sanhedrin leaders was massively powerful. So whose name are you? you? You're kind of nobodies. You've come from the north, from Galilee. You're unschooled people. Who on earth are you to say this? How did you do this? And what power and what authority did you do this? So I've got three points for you. No, I've actually got four. I'll tell a lie. It's bad to lie, isn't it? I've got four points. Okay, the first one is Jesus is the name that saves. Jesus is the name that saves. Acts 4, it says, If we've been called to account today for an act of kindness shown to this man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands restored. And again, we read it in Acts 3.16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that's being completely restored, as you can see. What's happening here is they're asking, how did he get well? But what Peter does, he starts to blend words together. And he starts to blend words like healed and restored and made strong and saved. And he puts them all together. So this, this lame man was undoubtedly unable to walk, as Christopher said a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't like he couldn't walk, he couldn't stand up, and they kind of got him standing up, and he kind of made one little step, and then they put him down, and went, it's amazing healing. 
It wasn't that. He's, he's completely lifted up. He's, as Christopher said, his legs become strong. There's a physical healing. And not only is he, okay, well, he needs a little bit of time to let his muscles build. His muscles completely build, and he's walking and leaping and praising God. So we should do that, shouldn't we? Should, should we all leap up? No, let's not do that. But, you know, he's, this, this guy who's been laid down for 40 years is suddenly walking and leaping and praising God. Now, the Jews in the temple and everybody there would have known their Bible. Let me just explain a little sidebar here. We are awash with information in our culture. I mean, there's so, so much. So many articles, so many books, so many bits of information. We are awash with information, but we retain hardly any of it. Is that true? Yeah. We're just, there's so much to read, so much to read. In, uh, in first century uh, uh, Israel... There wasn't a lot to read. So they read the Bible. They read the Bible. That's what they did at school. They didn't do maths and science, whatever. You know, primary school, you learn the first five books. Secondary school, you learn the rest of it. They knew the Bible. They picked up little bits and pieces and strands and they go, aha. And they would ask that question that you should ask when you're reading the Bible. Do read the Bible, by the way. Where have I seen this before? Where have I seen this before? That would be happening all the time. And we don't get that. We think there's no way that the guys in Jerusalem would have been thinking walking and leaping and praising God meant anything. We just think, well, isn't that nice? He's having a happy time. But actually, they would have, I believe the people and the Jews in the temple that day would have gone immediately to Isaiah 35. Let me read it to you. They will see the glory of God. Yes, there. They will see the glory of God, the splendor of our God. Here it is. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. That's this guy. They say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with judgment, with divine justice. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Read it with me, verse 6. Then the lame like the deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. This is a sign, this is a sign that God has come. It's not just, isn't this a nice miracle? This is a sign that God has come. It says, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. This is a sign that, that God's Messiah has come, that God's King has come, and he's changing everything. He's going to come and do like he did against Egypt. He's going to judge his enemies. I watched The Prince of Egypt last week, so it's a bit in my head. Our friends, our boys said, oh, didn't you like The Prince of Egypt? Do you know that video, The Prince of Egypt? Watch it, it's really good. It's got some great songs in there, hasn't it? And so we watched The Prince of Egypt, so sorry, I kind of thought. But actually, I'm reading Isaiah and I'm thinking, this is kind of like Exodus. He's going to, he's going to bring judgment and justice against his enemies, and he's going to bring freedom and restoration and healing to his people. This is a new Exodus, this is a new Moses. In fact, the Bible promises that there'll be another prophet like Moses. There'll be another one with authority like Moses to bring freedom and salvation. And they're saying, who is this new Moses? Who is this new Messiah? You know the answer. But the guys in the temple that day were absolutely appalled because they said, it's what, him? It's Jesus it's not ours, it's not anything else, it's Jesus. And that would have absolutely shocked and appalled them. Whose authority did you do this? What power did you do this? How can you bring healing and restoration and salvation? Whose name did you do it? 
And the truth is, we all look. We all look for rescue and salvation and restoration and healing and wholeness and life. We might not call it that. But if we're honest, and we dare to admit it to ourselves, we've all experienced the brokenness of this sin-soaked world. You know, I've got my lovely Ukrainian friends here. They don't need to be told that the world is broken. They don't need to be told, do you, that there's evil in the world. You don't need to be told that stuff happens and broken have happened. But you know, you've got, you've got, whether it's massive national stories or incredible personal stories, this world is broken. You are sinned against and you have sinned against other people. The world is broken and we think, well, where can I find restoration? Where can I find rescue from destructive patterns of sin in my life? Where can I find restoration from the stuff that's been done against me? And you know the obvious places where we look, don't you? You think, if I had more money and more stuff, that's going to fill my emptiness. If I had, uh, uh, you know, sex and relationships, that's going to bring me fulfillment and an intimacy that I need. Significance and power, that's going to give me the illusion that I'm really, really in charge and can really save myself. But the bottom line, although money's not bad and sex in the right context is not bad and relationships are not bad, none none of these things ultimately will bring salvation. If you look for them, then they're just going to enslave you and devour you. And you think, perhaps we don't see it so much on a personal level, but you do see it on the big level. I mean, one of the things I like to watch, who likes to watch the news? Or who, Does anybody still watch the news? Not many of us. Most of us think, I cannot watch the news anymore. Let me watch Strictly, or whatever you watch. I can't watch Strictly, but never mind. That's another story. But, you know, I like to watch the news. I'm a bit of a geek on the news. And what strikes me about the news is the grasping and the greed and the unfaithfulness, and the dishonour, and the lust for power. But most of all, what strikes me is the endless, endless lies. It's just staggering, isn't it? Moscow. I mean, Naomi said, does, does he believe what he's saying? Turan. You know, I think it's great what those lasses are doing, cutting their hair and saying, come on. Turan. Beijing, Westminster, Washington. It's shocking, isn't it? The lies. It's just You just take a lie counter and next time you watch the news, it is shocking. And you might think, oh, it's just the BBC or ITV or Channel 4 or whatever you watch that's, that's putting a spin on it. But the reality is that, that the world is broken. The world is broken. And we need saving. We need saving. I mean, this is a little sidebar, but I found this Isaiah 59 really poignant. I could have read the whole chapter, but I even preached on the whole chapter. No, we won't do that. Um, verse 9, Isaiah 59 says this. I think this is like a... This could be written last week. So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light... But all is darkness. For enlightenment, that's not, actually that's God's enlightenment, isn't it? That's not the enlightenment or Buddhist enlightenment, that's God's enlightenment. But we walk in deep shadow. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without sight. 
So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance and truth, truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found and whoever rejects evil becomes himself a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no righteousness. Then he saw there was no one. He saw Paul that there was no one to intervene. Shocking, isn't it? There's no one. The world's broken. There's no truth. There's no justice. The world is broken. And God looks and there's no one to intervene. He's appalled. There's no one. Is there anyone anywhere who can save? Any, Any man, any woman, anywhere. Not one. So his own arm, his own right arm, achieved salvation for him. His own righteousness strengthened him. Okay, easy question. Who is God's right arm? Thank you, John. Jesus. Let's say it again loudly. Who's God's right arm? Jesus. Jesus. There's nobody who's going to do it. There's nobody who's going to save. There's nobody who's going to change this broken world. So God's going to stretch his right arm, the very part of himself, and he's going to reach into humanity and say, I'm going to change it all. I'm going to intervene. Say hallelujah. Say hallelujah. <laughs> it's great. I thought it was great last week when Alan Frau said, Come on, people, you can be a little bit more responsive. I hadn't put him up to that, but I was, nod- I was nudging whoever sat next to me, thinking, Oh, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> so, we, so God's right arm is going to intervene to rescue, to save, to heal, to restore, to forgive. But he does it through a crazy way, you know this. I know this, all of you people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Nazareth who you crucified whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you, healed, restored, forgiven. Jesus, the stone, the builder's rejector, has become the the cornerstone. We're so familiar with this, it doesn't impact us anymore. We're so familiar with this. We sing it along, don't we? I mean, it's great to sing it. I sang it last week, didn't we? Let's read this. And, and, And let the words of this creed, the bit that I've sliced out of the creed, just get that, like and think, wow, like you've never heard it before. Let's read this. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and the dead. Wow. Wow. You know, Christmas like gets lost, doesn't it, in everything else? But the fact that God became a, a human is staggering, isn't it? The fact that God became a human and died on a cross to save us is equally staggering, more staggering. You know, if you think I'm not a big deal on, you know, it's not by my daytime reading, Babylonian and Greek myths. If you know anything about their gods, they, they did uh, come down from the mountains or come down from where they were. But what did they do? They come down, Marduk comes down from the Babylonian kind of heaven to enslave people. The Greek gods, bless them, love to come down and do like take women and rape them and generally cause bother and kill people. They're not coming down to sacrificially die and rescue humanity. 
The Jews believed that God could come and take flesh. So you read about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. But it was inconceivable that God's right arm was actually means God taking on flesh. And it was utterly crazy that God bleeding and dying and slaves off on a Roman cross was the way it's going to get done. Paul says it, doesn't it? Familiar verses again. I think we're all so familiar with this, it doesn't strike us. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 1.23, We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to clever folks from Cheltenham. But to those God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So the question is, was there another way? Was there another way? Was there another way to save humanity? Was there another way to save humanity? Jesus is on his knees, fallen to the ground, sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's saying to his father, my father, if it's possible, may this cup, this cup of suffering, this cup of divine judgment that I'm going to have to drink, may this cup be taken from me, but not your will. Not as I will, but as you will. If there was another way, why is Jesus going to the cross? If you could get to heaven by being a good person, why is Jesus dying? If you could get to heaven by the five pillars of Islam, sorry, don't cancel me, or the Buddha's spiritual disciplines. Um, if you could get there by keeping the Ten Commandments, if you could get there by being a good neighbour, if you could get there by prophets and mystics and priests and pastors, why has Jesus got to die? But you can't get there through any of them. You can only get there through him. There's no other way. So when Jesus cries out in the garden, is there another way if it's possible? Heaven is silent. There's no other answer. There's no other way. And he says, doesn't he, to the Jewish, he says to the Jewish leaders, he says to the Jewish leaders, in the name of Jesus Christ, who you've crucified. Who are those Jewish leaders? It's not in theory, is it? How long is it since the crucifixion? It's about 45 days. It's like the last time some of you in church. Sorry, that was a cheap shot. Uh, but 45 days, it's not long. And he says, you, you crucified this guy, this guy, who's got, the one who's going to save, the one who's going to bring transformation, the one who's the new Moses, the one who's going to bring rescue. You, you killed him. It's not in theory. They killed him. They stand in the crowd. That same crowd stood there at Pilate's balcony and said, crucify him. Crucify him. Take him away. Crucify him. Those same Jewish leaders mocked him on the cross. Mark uh, 15, verse 31. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him amongst themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, the one with the name and the power and authority, let him come down from the cross and you believe. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Truth was, he couldn't save himself if he's going to save others. He's to stay on the cross because that was the only way. He had to stay on the cross, naked and shamed and bones out of joint and 
gasping for breath and heart bursting with him. He had to stay on the cross. Because it was him or us. In not saving himself, he saved us. He saved the world. I remember as a young boy, my mum, bless her, she was a bit of a funny lady in many ways. She used to say to me, I don't know if she said this to you, my sister's here again. Um, she, she used to say, we believe in substitutionary atonement. You know, I'm like eight, and I think, I have no idea what you mean. Sub- I believe in substitutionary atonement. And then she used to quote this hymn, and we sang it at her funeral, actually. Uh, I'll come to Christopher and demonstrate what she used to do as she said it. She said, I'll read it, and then I'll do what it did. She said, in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless lamb of God was he. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And she used to do it like this. As she's putting me in bed, I was laid down, you let it. I was in bed and she'd go, she's got, in my place, condemned he stood, like patting on my chest, really kind of, in my, seal my, did she never do that to you? She'd obviously, I'd said, mom, don't do that. But it was like, it stuck in my head. It stuck in my head, in my place. Condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Jesus' death proved that he's the, Jesus' resurrection proved that he's the only saviour. Jesus shows us a different kind of God. Don't give me this all roads lead to God thing. Because there's a God shown on the cross that's different from any other Babylonian, Greek, let's not mention other types of religions right now, I've already done it. This is a sacrificial God. This is a cross-shaped God. A God not like no other, his love outpouring, his giving unending, his grace inexhaustible, his power to save without measure. This is no Allah or Krishna or Mammon. This is a different kind of God. So Peter makes the dogmatic claim, this is the only name that saves. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given under heaven by which mankind must be saved. This resonates again, this language resonates with Isaiah, that I'm sure that when, when, when Peter said it, they must have thought, I've heard this before. Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. And there is no God apart from me. A righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Peter's making the claim that the, 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 the God of Israel is Jesus Christ and he's come to save. You know, when Peter's saying that, he's only saying, emphasising what Jesus himself said. You know, to say Jesus is the only way to salvation is to affirm what Jesus himself said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You think, hang on a minute. That's not very pluralistic, 21st century. Some of the things you've said here have quite, have quite offended me. Surely we believe all roads, all, all gods are the same. All roads lead to God. Actually, I'm just finding this quite disturbing now. You're in a bit of a rant. And you're not being very nice about other religions. I'm not having a go at other religions. I'm just saying truth is exclusive. 
It cannot be true that all roads lead to God and Jesus is the only way. It can't be. It can't be. There was a, a famous uh, interaction between the old Archbishop of Canterbury, I think I've got the right picture, and Jane Fonda. She said, Archbishop said to Jane Fonda, a Hollywood actress, Jesus, the son, Jesus is the son of God, you know. And she said, well, maybe he's for you, but he's not for me. Archbishop says, well, either he is or he isn't. He is or he isn't. It's not true for you. See, either we're all idiots and he ain't the son of God or the world needs him and he is. You know, I, find, I, I don't want to pop up. I'm, I'm quite poppy today, aren't I? You must be careful. You know, I want the queen. I love the way the queen was the defender of the faith. Not faith, generally. Not random faith in random things. She's a defender of the faith in Jesus. You know, we quoted it, didn't we? She said, when I see Jesus, I want to lay my crown at his feet. Yeah? He's the one with authority and the name and the power. So are we arrogant and, and, and exclusive to believe this? No. You're not the clever ones. You didn't sit in your room and think this up, did you? Did you think, ah, oh, yeah, I, I've worked this out for myself. I'm very philosophically wise and clever. I worked this out for myself. No, we're fumbling along the wall in the darkness, like Isaiah said. And Jesus came down and opened our eyes. Aren't Christians smugly self-righteous? Well, we better not be. We better not be. Because we, we come to Jesus humbly, repentant, saying, Jesus, I've messed up. Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I need your life because my life wasn't doing it. We admit that we stand with all humility, not pointing the finger at others, self-righteous, think we've earned our way to God, come, we've done the right things, we've served on the right rotors, we've given the right amount to the gift day, so therefore that puts us in a position to point the finger at others. No. We're all sinners needing forgiveness. And is it exclusive? No. The gospel message is for every single person. For every single person. We're so moved, we should be so moved by the love of Jesus that we desire that everyone to taste and see that God is good. So let me finish with this. Let me finish with this. This I found the hardest for me. Peter says we can't stop talking about Jesus. Then they called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, What is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen or heard. I must confess, I sometimes don't say. It's easy in here, I'm bold and brash and bullish. But out there, when I'm doing my governor job, when I'm out there in the big, wide world, you know, it, people don't want to hear about Jesus, do they? I've got to do a little five-minute intro to this prize-giving at Balcaris. And I'm wrestling. If I even mention the name of Jesus, they're going to be, What? This has nothing to do with it. So I'm praying, God, give me a way 
I could just slip his name in. But I'm scared to do it. I think, what a name. You don't want to do that. That's inappropriate. This is a prize giving. It's nothing to do with that. I'm not even sure I'm going to dare do it. You know, Peter and John got imprisoned for talking about Jesus. Christians through the centuries have been ultimately cancelled. Persecuted, imprisoned, killed. But if Jesus is truly who he is, if he's the only way to be saved and there's no other name, if he commands all power and authority, why am I so scared of everyone? Tim Keller says, if the gospel is true, you have to throw everything down at his feet and say, command me. But our society does not want us to say to Jesus, throw everything down at his feet and do what he says. We can talk about caring for for the poor and that's a great thing to talk about. We can talk about Jesus loving everything and he does and that's a great thing to talk about. But if you use the word Jesus, you might be in trouble. Now I'm not suggesting that you go out onto the high street now and go shout loud and tell everyone that God's judgment is coming and they're all going to go to hell. I don't think that's possibly the way forward. But I do think, why? Why are we so reluctant? I'm not slamming on you, I'm wrestling with it myself. You know, because the world doesn't want us to speak about Jesus. But if you're um, a cancer surgeon, and you don't tell people the bad news and say, this thing's got to be cut out, what kind of cancer surgeon are? If you're a heart surgeon and says, how have you got to stop eating? I better not even say this because I'm going to condemn myself out of my own mouth, but you've got to stop eating all those fatty foods and stuff. You've got to stop that. If you don't tell people, what kind of surgeon are you? If you're a, a, a fireman and you don't say, quick, there's a fire, come out of your house, leave everything and follow me because you're in danger, what kind of fireman are you? Howard, if you're a Christian and you don't tell people there ain't no other way than this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. What kind of Christian am I? Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to God. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Father, challenging words. Lord, it's easy to believe it in here. Maybe some of us struggling to believe it in here. But Lord, to believe it out there. To believe it out there with our time and our money and our priorities and the places we go for salvation and the places we go for healing and the places we go for satisfaction. To believe that out there in the real world is harder. To live it out there in the real world is harder. And to, to speak it out there is even harder. So I'm just asking you, Holy Spirit, to embolden us. To understand there is no other name. Salvation is found in no one else but you. And I pray, let us live with that banging imperative deep within our souls. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.